Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right, welcome back, everybody. Today, my guest is Kara Jones. Kara is the founder of Storytellers for Good. She's the director, co-writer, and co-producer of the movie Blessed Child, and she's a storytelling coach for entrepreneurs. She also happens to be the person who recommended the Hoffman process to me, I don't know, 15 years ago. So I am eternally grateful for her. Kara, I am so excited you're here. Welcome. Thank you, Sharon. It's so nice to be with you. <laughs> so I thought we would just start with storytelling. What, what is it about storytelling that has drawn you in? Well, uh, it was a path that found me. I was heading down the traditional uh, law school route after college and always had this idea in the back of my head that I might want to uh, be a news reporter. And so I was living in Boston at the time and I got a job with no experience in a little dinky town in Naples, Florida. Um, not so dinky anymore, but um I uh, spent some years telling stories uh, for for the news, and in this small town environment, I loved it. And my dream was always to get back to Boston. And once I did, it quickly became doom and gloom all the time. And what I wrestled with at the time was I didn't want to be a part of this bad news machine anymore, but I wanted to find a way to tell important stories. And what I most love was, you know, meeting these people in the middle of nowhere, right? And knocking on their doors and discovering, you know, once you sit them down that everyone has a story. And um, it's just a matter of drawing that out of them. And my belief is that our stories are a form of our genius. The path that we've walked has taught us things that we sometimes don't even know it's taught us until we have an opportunity to excavate what's there and, um, and claim that genius. Wow. And so have you worked with what, what kind of, um, inspirational stories have you worked with so far? And I love what you just said is that we don't even realize it until we are telling it. That's so true for me personally. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to interview people from all over the world, um, you know, and mud floors and under thatched roofs and, and conference rooms. And so I, when I left the news industry too discouraged by the bad news all the time, right? I started a company called Storytellers for Good that was all about finding these amazing people uh, who were doing incredible work in the world and creating what ended up being fundraising videos for nonprofits, uh, fundraising films for nonprofits that would help an audience 
understand the heart of the work through an individual person's story and really whittling down the, you know, what for many organizations are vast um, mission statements and frameworks and whatnot into like, how does this work touch this one life and, and getting to the depth of that story. And uh, in the middle of telling all of those stories, it started to haunt me that I had a story of my own to tell. And that in a way I started hiding behind telling other people's stories. Right? It was, it was a, is a way that I could, I think part of the reason I was so interested in other people's stories is because I knew that I had a story of my own. I just wasn't as willing to excavate it as I was um, in supporting others and, and telling their stories or telling their stories for them in, in that film environment, which, you know, I shifted from. I am so happy you brought that up because I was going to actually say how powerful that here you are working with others on their stories and then you went and had the courage to tell your own. Wow. Well, I think in some ways it was witnessing the courage of the people over many years who had that, uh, that courage to tell their stories that empowered me to do the same. And is there something you can see, you know, here you are working with people and uh, like you said, excavating their story. Is there a theme or something that seems common that happens to them once they get their story out? Who do they become in the world? So I, I run a program called Untether Your Voice. And what I've seen is that when you can tell the truth of your story, which for many people is the hardest truth to tell and really dig into all the layers of experience that you have and use, instead of the, those experiences defining you, you get to flip the role of the stories having power over you to you having power of the story by discovering the message that you have as a result of the journey that you've walked. And once you marry the story with the message, you own the story, right? You get to use the story and the experiences that for many of us were like the hardest things to talk about in service of what you have to share with the world. And it becomes this powerful truth-telling exercise that opens up a path for people to start telling more truth in their life and work beyond that. Wow. So if I heard you correctly, they go through this journey that you've beautifully already kind of like contained for them. So here we're putting them safely on this journey. And as a result, they start to tell more and more truths in their lives. Yes. It's the courage muscle, right? You, you, in the process of telling your own story and, you know, in the groups that I run and in a safe container of a group, right. And then you start sharing that story with people that you love and, and putting a, maybe a toned down version of it uh, on your website or maybe not uh, at least a smaller version of it. Yeah. And then you discover that you do have things to say, right. That you have lived a life that is worthy of being shared because it holds so much wisdom. And so you start to like courage is this muscle that you have to develop. It doesn't just descend on you one day. And a voice is something that you have to 
practice your way into. It doesn't just arrive on the mountaintop one day. And so I support people in both, you know, telling that core story and then figuring out all the other things that they're here to say and cultivating the courage to be able to say those things, whether it be through a TED talk or through social media or, you know, blogs or emails that they share with their community. And so what was your journey like getting the courage and the voice and building those muscles? Uh, A long one. It was a seven year journey for me of telling my story and I don't necessarily recommend this for everyone, (laughs) this particular route, but I chose to create a documentary film about my journey of being raised in a unique religion called the Unification Church, otherwise known as the Moonies, founded by Reverend Sun Myung Moon. And uh, I was raised in this church. My parents were some of the earliest members. And when I was 20 years old, I stood in the Seoul Olympic Stadium holding the hand of a man I met a month before uh, that Reverend Moon arranged my marriage to and committed to marrying him. And, you know, within some years of that moment, the marriage unraveled, my faith unraveled, and I took that whole part of my life and put it in a box with lots of duct tape around it. And... I became a TV news reporter and, you know, had a certain persona and wore a lot of makeup and, and just told myself that that wasn't who I was anymore and it didn't matter and, and it wasn't for public consumption. And what happened was by my late 30s, I was trying to move forward in my life and I, I couldn't seem to move forward. I couldn't seem to create a family that I always wanted. Um, And I was at Burning Man, having just tried mushrooms and ecstasy for the first time. (laughs) A very different world from the the one that I was raised in. And as I was driving out, um, my text, my phone started blowing up with these texts. uh, Did you hear that Reverend Moon died? And um, something just came over me in that moment that I knew like now is the time to tell the story. And so I didn't know what the story was going to be. When I got back from Burning Man, I had found out that my parents were going to Korea who were, my parents are still members of the church and they were going to Korea to cover, to be a part of the funeral. And I had this decision making point where I had to decide, was I going to actually bring the story out of the box? um, Or was I going to keep it, hidden. And I decided to, to go to Korea and re-enter this world that I had separated myself from. And, and that began a seven year journey of, uh, trying to figure out what the story was, how I wanted to tell it and wrestling with a whole lot. I'm like, not going to curse you. But there's a lot, wrestling with a whole lot of stuff that I hadn't really been looking at in terms of ways that I was still tied to my parents and to the church through my parents. And what ended up unfolding was a very intimate family story that the church was just the backdrop of that inspired my work today because it was such a transformational experience and forced me to 
see the ways that the past had still had a hold on me to wrestle with the fear of losing my parents if I told the story, which is an old lifelong fear, and create something that you know became a representation, an expression of my healing in the world. I think I have the title of your next book. The moral of that story, what I heard was those boxes that we all have with God knows how many layers of duct tape, they have to be opened. And, and you actually said it so eloquently. You were at this phase of life, you wanted to move forward, and it was the box with the duct tape that was holding you back. And that box was with how many doors um, did you have to open just to even get to that box? And it was once you opened that box that you had the family, the intimacy, the work that you all around all the history was that's, there's your book. There's your next book. I just got it for you. (laughs) Boxes are duct tape boxes by Kara Jones. Uh, well, thank you. Yes. I mean, all those things. And, and it was hard. Like, no wonder I didn't want to open the box. It was hard. So I, I try to create a path that's a little bit easier for people and, and don't, you know, again, most people I work with aren't creating documentaries per se, but um, even an about page that's true and real and authentic can bring up a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the same things that I had to face over those seven years. Yeah. I, I just think it's interesting how you, um, identify the church ended up being just the backdrop. And had you not excavated, to use your word, deep enough, it might have stopped with the church was at the forefront, but it was actually the backdrop. I think that's so powerful. Yeah, it was because for so many years, you know, even with funders and potential collaborators, everybody wanted the sensational story to be told. And I had I had access and footage with which I could have told that story. And, you know, going back to this, like owning the story versus the story owning you, I felt like that wasn't playing out myself as the victim and this wild cult and all these crazy things that happen. Like that's not the story that I wanted to tell. And ultimately I could share, you know, some of the wild aspects and unusual aspects of this faith in service of the story I most wanted to tell, which was really about truth and family. I, by the way, I've seen the movie and I recommend it. And and part of what I was struck by was your choice to do that. Your choice not to make it uh, overly dramatic and to just make it truthful and honest And I'll tell you my takeaway after I watched that was, wow, I want to, I want, I didn't, you know, I'm embellishing when I say, I wish I had an excuse to have this journey with my parents. I mean, it looked and felt, I saw how hard of a journey it was, but at the end, what a healing journey you had. Who doesn't want that? Well, and it, it gave me the excuse, you know, uncomfortably at numerous family reunions where, you know, my family gets together once a year from all over the world and there's me pulling out the camera, you know, <laughs> but, you know, here we are getting together once a year. And so often, you know, you catch up on certain levels, but you don't always have the opportunity to talk about the past. So it gave me an excuse and, and my hope is that the watching of the film will also give people an excuse to see the power of those uncomfortable conversations with the people that we love 
and have the courage to have them and, and see what can unfold from that. I know that you are a, a seeker. You are, you are always journeying inward and questioning and uh, learning more about yourself, learning more about people, learning more about the collective. What, what is, where does that come from for you? I, I know I was born with it to some extent. I have memories of myself as a child sitting in the grass pondering, why am I this person and not that person? And uh, talking to my version of God as a young kid. But I think that there was something about growing up in a faith where there was this clear definition of who I was and what the world was and who the Messiah was and what our path was forward. And it was all laid out and like the whole interpretation of human history and Reverend Moon's role as the next Messiah. It was, it was so clear and, and, uh, you know, there, for much of my younger life, I relaxed into that and was a huge advocate of this viewpoint and part of witnessing and standing in central or um, Times Square on a fold, folding chair, like preaching the word, right? And then when all of that fell apart, it really tested me because I didn't have anything to fall back on. And I had this framework growing up where where it was like somebody else knew best, like the Messiah knows what the truth is. The Messiah knows who I should marry. The Messiah knows all these things. So my life journey has been about trying to find my own wisdom. And, and so I've, my seeking, I think comes from that of, of wanting to reclaim my own inner Messiah for myself and having all kinds of life experiences to open up that communication with myself and my soul and loving the journey of always learning new things and having new ideas come and and trusting those. And and it's, it's been its own kind of healing for me to know myself and trust myself. Wow. I'm so struck by the difference in this life that they defined who I was. They defined what the world is. They defined who I'm going to marry. Like, like you said, externally, and it became your identity. Like you said, I was an advocate of it sitting in the chairs in New York times. And you had the courage to let go of that and completely go into the unknown. And as a result, now you have your own inner Messiah, like you said, your own inner wisdom, but that moment of letting go of the identity. Wow. That's where I got the chills. Yeah, it was a lot. It, it's very uncomfortable, that liminal place of not knowing what to hold on to when everything has fallen away. And would you say, you know, you're obviously a Hoffman graduate, but was that part of that um, seeking? Was that what, what called you to do the Hoffman process? I had heard about it through a friend and given my seeking nature had felt like there was something just intuited that there was something in it for me. I did Hoffman the year before I started my film. And I remember coming off of a new year's experience. I had had another relationship fail and a miscarriage. And I was just like a pool of 
tears <laughs> on New Year's Eve. I remember my friends calling me like, we're going out. I'm like, no. <laughs> I was just kind of incapacitated by my own pain. And so even though I had done you know, some therapy and healing, I had the sense that in a, in a way, not dissimilar from the instinct I had around telling my story, right? That, that there was uh, healing, deeper healing that wanted to happen. And given my sort of cult, quote unquote, cult background, I was also a little skeptical, right? I remember telling friends like, if you don't hear from me in a week, <laughs> check up on me. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I remember, you know, doing my first I think it was some kind of intake interview when you first arrive and, you know, they were asking these questions and kind of making light of, you know, in the past I've people always, their ears perk up when you hear about this unique history. And, and, um, I found myself feeling a little defensive when I first got there, but there was something that happened on the first day where I remember like reluctantly, like picking up the bat and like being encouraged, right. To keep, to start the bashing. And there was something about the sound of the bats hitting the pillow that, and, and the chorus of them that stirred something in me. It wasn't just the church, but it was who my parents were in the context of the church. And that, you know, for the first few years of my life, they were not really there because they were doing mission work. And so I had always intellectualize like well th that doesn't really matter because I can't remember it and when I heard those bats and and in the first few days of the process like started to bash the pillows myself it was like these you know maybe not dissimilar from like the box and the shell, right? like these pockets of pain in my body that I had tucked away that started to open up and started to become a kind of, it was like I was accessing some kind of fuel from them to just like bash and bash and yell and yell. And I was shocked myself, like how much I, like my body was just, like I could just keep going and going. And there was so much to release and so much to be felt. And even though it was painful, it actually felt good at the same time. I can tell you that uh, as a teacher hearing, you know, so we, we do this so often, right? we create the space for people to do that uh, very ritualistic bashing with the baseball bat and hearing how it unfolded and what happened to you through that is so affirming for me as a teacher, even though I'm a Hoffman grad and I had a very similar experience. It's just so nice to hear the power of not doing this alone, doing it in community, hearing other people, involving your body, the sound effects, and, and look what happened. We got to tap into something that needed to be expressed as a result. Is there a way that the process, the Hoffman process still shows up in your life today. Yeah. I think there was this other pivotal moment in my experience where I, it was coming off an exercise and there was this man that I became friends with. Um, you know, there's, it's amazing what happens in that room where I, I haven't talked to this man since, but he was like such a pivotal person in my experience. And 
we had this experience uh, as a result of one of the exercises where we were both just like cracked open and I had really realized some things about the way that this abandonment pattern had been playing out in my life. And he had said something like, as we were talking about it afterwards, he said something like, if you can see it, if you can see it and if you can feel it, you can heal it. You can't be haunted by a ghost that you know. And I think what got revealed in that, in that experience were some of the ghosts that had been haunting me and driving relationship behaviors and drinking behaviors that weren't serving me. So it was, it was an, another truth telling exercise in that regard, like really looking at the truth of where some of these patterns originated and when I came out of it, I remember thinking, oh, the first person I date, like, surely he, they're going to be the one. Because <laughs> right? that was one of my biggest struggles is like, I really wanted to have a family in my late 30s that I just couldn't seem to make that work. And, and so all of it took time. You know, it sent me, so I, I did the Hoffman process in 2012. And it was September of that year that I began, I began the film. And I think you know, that journey of seven years was in some ways a journey of integrating some of the awarenesses that came from the Hoffman process and the truths that emerged there, you know, became some of the truths that emerged in my film and in my life. And that ability to see and speak the truth and therefore not be haunted by it is what my life and work are now about. I love that you use the word integration too, because uh, this is one of my biggest takeaways too from this is, is that there is an unfolding that takes place over a long periods of time, if not for the rest of our lives in how we integrate this work. Yes. Do not expect the, <laughs> the year afterwards to just like completely change. I mean, for some people it does, but I think um, it, it is an integration process and patience is needed. Do not expect that first person you date after the process is going to be the one. <laughs> he was not. He was not. <laughs> because I was not. Because I was not. Right? <laughs> Actually, there were like three more after the process. <laughs> For the record, people, there were at least three more, okay? Let it be noted. Um, anyway, I just find you so uh, profoundly deep and so profoundly poetic. It is always such a joy to talk to you, Kara. Um, I, I, just, I just love the way you string thoughts together and you bring these beautiful poetic words and it makes it so easy for me, not just to hear it from my ears, but my whole body hears your stories when you tell them. It is really such a lovely experience. So thank you so much for being here today and for sharing of yourself and, um, for letting us know your journey and, um, and letting us into your heart. So thank you. Thank you, Sharon. I love talking to you in this way. All right. Well, thank you uh, for being here again and to everybody else. Hope you enjoyed this lovely interview with Kara Jones and we will see you next week.
for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.